Thank you for pulling into the Hope Station. I am your host, Diane Bells. The Hope Station is a place to hear amazing interviews, great transformational stories, and learn about the power of faith and hope to change your life. A podcast that proves living purposefully is possible. Are you ready for your own transformational story? Do you want to turn a new chapter in your life or career? There's hope. Schedule a free consult call with me to stop feeling hopeless and gain the hope you need to have the life you deserve. Information of how to schedule that appointment is in the show notes. You can also connect with me through my website, Diane Bells, uh, D-I-A-N-E-B-E-L-Z.com. Are you ready for another great interview? Hello and welcome to the Hope Station podcast. Today, my guest is Cynthia Pagan. Cynthia was a victim of domestic violence, and this occurred while her husband was in the military. Cynthia is going to share with us her story of the situation that happened, but also what she's been doing to help other victims of violence, whether it's domestic or other types of violence that can occur through her organization called FFT Helping Others Counseling, which she is the founder and CEO. So Cynthia, thank you for joining me today. And I'm interested in hearing your story, especially from the perspective of we think of people within the military are there to serve and help others. And that the fact that this situation had occurred to you and from your organization, what I've read about it is that it has actually, it, it occurs much more often than we think possible. So thank you for coming on and sharing that uh, with us. Thank you, Diane. I'm, well, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for welcoming on, on your show. So how, let's just go back from the beginning, you know, you're a victim, you're, you're married to someone in the military and just take us to that point in time where you were a little bit about what happened and then what you're doing right now for other people of, of domestic violence. Sure. Um, yeah. So like many women, I was a victim of military domestic violence uh, 27 years ago. Um, I was stationed in Cherry Point, North Carolina, uh, with my husband. Um, I dealt with everything from sexual assault to, um, physical, uh, mental, psychological uh, abuse. And, um, when I left the situation, um, I actually was, um, in a, um, shelter and I saw that there was not a lot of women who, uh, had, um, a lot of services. And, um, you know, I thought to myself, you know, we really need to bring attention to bring services to more women. And so that's why um, after I had my sons, I decided after healing um, to bring services to more families who are dealing with these kinds of issues and kinds of trauma um, to, to help them, you know, help them get out of these situations and also help them to heal. Well, I find it amazing when someone has been the victim of something this horrible, and you can give us a little bit more detail on that, but that you took the courage, number one, to leave, which I hear is always a dangerous thing to do. And then you also said, well, you know what? 
uh, I'm going to let, I'm going to help others. So what happened within that, that marriage? You had, you, you said two children that you stayed yeah, so within I was the marriage? Yeah. With my uh, son at the time, we were stationed um, in Cherry Point, North Carolina. Actually, we were stationed in different locations, but our last station was in Cherry Point point uh north carolina and the parameter of that is that many women um especially myself um don't see the issues um you know starting to get worse until i get pregnant i was pregnant at the time and so my husband decided hey why don't we live off base and that's when um the violence started to get worse um, and so the problem with military domestic violence, it's not like civilian domestic violence. You can't really, although you can go to um, a civilian police officer, the first thing they're going to ask you is, did you go to their NCO? Uh, did you talk to the military police? And that's pretty much what you had to do. You have to go through the chain of command um, at, at the military um, base to, to help you during these times, which it's a little bit difficult and it can cause more trauma, um, which you're already going through trauma. It can cause more trauma, you know? Um, well, you talked about there were signs that you want to warn others about. What were some signs that you saw? So, and how long were you married before this started? I guess that's the first question I'd have. Yeah, so um, we were married for about five years. Um, and so some of the signs um, that I started to notice was his character started to change. Um, and it might have been some PTSD um, due to the military issues that he was facing. Um, and, and that also might be why so many military members have so many issues, um, you know, and why mental health is so, you know, imperative for so many military members and their families. Um, but, so what, you know, what was changing? What did you see changing? The first thing I saw changing was his character. Um, what do you mean by that? His character, meaning, um, you know, as soon as I got pregnant, um, it, it was his demeanor, how kind he was, how laughing he was. Um, he didn't, you know, he wanted me to be more attentive to him. He kept saying, um, this is the baby going to be more in the way you need to, you know, pay more attention to me than to the baby. Um, I want more of your love. Um, things like that. And uh, those are things, those are the tall tale signs um, that, you know, and, and usually mental abuse is, is one of those signs mm -hmm. too, where they'll make you feel like uh, they're more important. They have to be more important. Uh, why are you buying more clothes for the baby than you're paying more attention to me? Uh, you know, why are you decorating the room for the baby and you're not, you know, spending more time with me? Those are big, you know, signs that he was saying to me too, you know? So this wasn't happening before. And then once you were pregnant, it started to happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah, it started. And I think it was because, you know, my, like I said, I'm Latina. And so we pay a lot of attention to our husbands. We make sure that the food is ready. The house is clean. We make sure that, 
almost everything is comfortable. Um, but as soon as I got pregnant, you know, we like to nest. We want to make sure everything is good and comfortable for our kids. And that caused a lot of um, disregard for his nature. And um, it caused a, a difference for him. Um, yeah. And it might have been sounds, he was upset because of that. Sounds like he didn't want to share you with this child that you were having together. So yeah. there was physical violence and emotional violence. And where, how did, how did you end up removing yourself from this relationship? Uh, yeah, I had everything from physical, emotional, physical, sexual um, abuse. And, um, you know, it was one day there was a, a military soldier who was kind to me. Um, his, his name was also Thomas, and he was extremely kind. Um, and I saw that that my ex-husband wasn't coming home for days. And uh, he said, hey, I, I'm going to help you get out of here. Um, and I'm going to take you to you somewhere. Tell me where you want to go. Um, and so he took me to a local shelter um, to help me to a local domestic violence shelter that helped me out. Yeah. Was was this before your son was born or after? It was before. It was before he was born. Um, so I actually was in a shelter before he was born. So I was pregnant in the shelter. Um, and I actually lived in the shelter while I was pregnant. Yeah. And how were you able to trust this man that you knew, as you said, Thomas, when it didn't seem that you could trust your husband? What were things that he was doing that you knew that he was like a safe harbor for this, what was going on in your life? So he was a good friend of uh, ours. He actually was a military buddy of his. Um, so we, we knew him and I knew him. Um, and he had witnessed um, a lot of the bruises that I had gone through. He also had heard a lot of the verbal abuse. And um, when he was in our house and even had called out my ex-husband out of that and said, hey, you know, what are you doing? You know, don't treat your wife like that. So he actually himself had and noticed um, a lot of the trauma that I had gone through. So to trust him um, wasn't difficult because he was a, a friend. He was a friend. So it wasn't that he was just assuming something was happening. He he witnessed it, as you said, and knew that it was time to help you. So when you moved into the shelter, was your husband able to find you? Like what happened there? Did you feel safe? Yeah. In that? My biggest scare was that I was afraid he was going to find me. And so, you know, I did tell uh, my friend Thomas, please don't take me anywhere that's close by to the base. Um, take me far, far away. And he said, no, I'm going to take you so far away. And literally we drove for almost close to two hours to find a shelter far away. And to be, to be honest, there are no real shelters in North Carolina. Um, not anything that would house, um, and 
you know, women who are dealing with these issues. And um, so we had to find somewhere and we had to call around. Um, But then when I found somewhere, it was almost close to two hours away, which I felt um, comfortable. And as soon as you get into a shelter, they um, they do a lot of paperwork. They do intakes, you know, try to get you to do protective orders and trespassing ordinances um, and try to do everything they can so that you are protected um, and, and make sure that you're okay, you know. So how long did you stay in the shelter for until your son was born or sometime after? No, I actually stayed in the shelter for almost close to two months until I got the courage to call my mother. I was very ashamed, extremely ashamed um, about the situation that had happened to me Um, because of my culture. um, You, you know, our culture is you have to stay with your husband and um, you have to deal with what you're going through. And I was extremely ashamed um, what I was dealing with. And it took a lot of courage um, to call my mom and tell her that, that I w- left my husband and I was sexually and physically and verbally abused. And now I was living in a shelter. But it took a really wonderful woman um, at this shelter who was also um, had my same background who explained to me, listen, Um, your mom's going to understand. And, you know, just because we are who we are, because of our culture, um, your mom will understand and she'll get it. You know, Um, no mother wants to see their child um, be abused and you don't want your child to be abused. So it took a a great woman from a shelter who, who was also Latina to explain to me that no, your mom will understand, just call her. And she was actually there in the room while I called my mom sobbing, sobbing. Well, was the shame from the abuse or was the shame that you were leaving your marriage? It was shame that I left my marriage and I didn't know how my mom was going to take it. And shame that I left somebody, you know, control me and hurt me so badly. And I didn't speak up and tell my mom about it immediately and early. And I was Mm. shameful. I I felt shame. I felt hurt. And, um, you know, like my family, my grandmother raised me up. You're going to deal with this. You know, you have to deal with husbands. Um, you have to make sure their their clothes are laid out and their food is put on the table and the house is clean. That's how we're raised as, you know, Hispanic and Latino women. Uh, we're raised like that. That's how we're raised. And um, yeah. Well, was it part of the, the culture? I'm just trying to wrap my head around it, too. So how did your mother help you? Did she let you move in? Did she understand? Was she, what was her reaction to this and her response to to helping you out? On the phone, my mother started sobbing. Um, My mom was so upset 
And she said, why didn't you tell me some earlier? Mm. I, I would have helped you immediately because my mom actually came to visit us um, two months before this happened. And my husband would walk with me everywhere that my mom would walk. So it's almost like he didn't want me to tell my mother anything. Um, he wanted to make sure that he controlled the, the conversation. And uh, my mom said, why didn't you tell me when I came to visit you? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, mom, how, how could I? Um, you know, I was afraid of Thomas and, you know, which that was his name too. Sorry. <laughs> it was Thomas <laughs> and Thomas. Um, and I didn't want to say it on the radio because um, I, I, you know, I want to make sure for animated, uh, you know, make sure to protect myself. Um, but um, I, I needed to to make sure that I was protected and I was pregnant, you know, and I said, Mom, I couldn't tell you I was hurt and um, I needed to make sure that I was OK and the baby was OK. And she says, I'm coming. I'm leaving now. I'm coming to get you. And I left right away. Wow. And it's amazing the stories that we can spin in our head, right? That your mother's going to not understand. You were raised to be something different. And it kept you trapped, believing yeah. that she wouldn't understand. And I guess that's, that's part of the healing process for you as well. So what has happened that you decided after leaving that, that you were going to be an advocate and start working and start really telling people about this problem, how pervasive it sounds like it is and what you're doing to try to um, educate and also advocate. Sure. Um, So um, I I started um, FFT helping others after my healing process. I needed to make sure that I didn't start a nonprofit or anything like that until I was truly healed um, from, from the wounds and from the issues that I'd gone through. Um, I, I didn't want to start being an advocate until I did that. Um, and so now I'm a cognitive behavioral life coach, uh, psychodynamic psychotherapist. And so I have both a nonprofit and a counseling service. And um, I wanted to make sure I advocated uh, for women and for children, basically, to make sure that they have someone there um, when they needed to go to a shelter, uh, when they need someone in court, you know. Um, well, well, Cynthia, what was your healing journey that you had to go through and how long did it take you to, to come out and you feel healed from, to the other side? Yeah, so um, my my healing um, journey uh, took about, you know, five to six years, it took a while. Um, mm-hmm. And healing, to, you know, it, I, I talk to a lot of people about their healing, that when they come out of domestic violence, not to go into the process of being an advocate immediately, because you're not going to be a proper advocate. And a lot of women who go through domestic violence decide to be an advocate within 30 
you know, days of being um, a victim, between an, a year of being a victim, and that's not going to be a proper advocate. Uh, you, you really have to heal properly, to forgive properly, and to let go properly. So was that part of it? Like if you go through the steps of what your healing process was, yeah. where did it start? And before you, you could deem yourself healed, what did that look like, the beginning to the end? Yeah, so the beginning process was, you know, first of all, educating myself to know that I have self-worth and that I am worthy, um, to understand that I did have wounds, that I was broken, um, that um, I was a good parent, um, that no matter what did happen, I was still um, a, a person of worth. And that was something I needed to start to understand. Um, And that meant every day looking in the mirror and saying, you're beautiful, you're worthy. Um, God has made you whole. Um, And that took a while. It took a long time to look in the mirror and say, you're okay. It took a long time because um, I looked at myself in the mirror with tears in my eyes. um, And I didn't like myself. Um, And then after that, it had to be um, education for me that I needed to not be um, be with someone immediately, not to um, be in a fast you know process of I'm lonely and I need a man. That was not um, that was not going to work. Um, I needed to be alone, and I needed to understand. Um, how being alone works, um, how the process of taking care of my kids, taking care of me works. Um, so that was a, a huge process. Taking care of Joseph was. Um, and, and also being able to be self-sufficient, you know, provide for myself. Um, because I had depended on somebody to provide, I needed now to provide. So that was, it was a big process. Although I had a college degree, I had no, I had been dependent on him for five years and I needed to be self-sufficient. I needed to utilize my degree, utilize what I had learned in the process and in the back of my head. And, um, and, and also um, also take parenting skills, parenting background, self-reliant to be a good parent, you know? Okay. So you wanted to take care of yourself and your son, but here, just, I'm, I'm curious as to why you didn't like yourself. I think that's how you stated it. What, what about you? Were you just feeling, I, I need to heal that part because I don't like myself? Um, I, you know, when you're with someone for five years and Mm -hmm. even when you're with someone for one of those years or even 30 of days of those years, or it doesn't matter. And that person psychologically or mentally keeps telling you you're not worthy. Nobody's going to want you. You're disgusting. Who would want someone like you? Um, when a person breaks you down and mm-hmm. tells you how unimportant or un, you know, unworthy you are on how 
um, how dumb you are or how stupid you are or how um, those words can break down a person, literally can break you down. And when a person has heard that over and over and over again, um, psychologically and mentally, it can change you in an instant. Mm -hmm. And I have, I would rather receive a a person punching me than receive those words over and over and over again, you know? Wow. That, um, was this happening, Cynthia, before you got pregnant or was it only happening after you got pregnant? Was he planting those seeds of doubt in you during the entire marriage? Yeah. So, um, there were times where, um, he was saying, you know, you're not that very smart. Let me handle it. You know, um, you're not, you know, you could be a little kinder. How, how, how dare you say those kind of things? You're not really, you know, you're really, you're, you need to just be quiet, you know? And so it was those things that were kind of planted before I was pregnant, but when I got planted, it got worse, you know? Um, then it got to the point where it was like, you're stupid, you're dumb. And then it got to a point, um, where those words of, um, unkindness and, um, psychological, you know, bombing, you know, um, got to a point where it breaks you down so badly that you start believing it. You really do. You start believing that you're those things, you know? Well, you said that that was harder to deal with than the physical violence. Can you help me understand that a little bit? So um, when a person um, deals with mental and psychological abuse like myself, Mm -hmm. um, when you retrieve those things, when you hear those things over and over again, mental abuse can break you down worse than physical abuse. Um, mental abuse can hurt your body. It can traumatize you. It can make you double think about yourself. Am I doing this right? Am I pleasing him correctly? Am I, you know, it can even make your heart hurt all the time. It makes you, it makes your hands hurt. It makes your body hurt. You can start having, you know, tremors. Um, every single thing about you hurts because you're afraid of everything. Mm. And, um, your body hurts, your, your, your mentality is broken. And, you know, when a person punches you, you'll have a feeling for about maybe five to 10 minutes or five minutes, the pain is there, but then the bruise is there later with somebody who psychologically or mentally abuses you, that trauma stays there. It doesn't leave. It, you'll double think things over and over again, thinking, am I r- really okay? I mean, am I really dumb? Can I really, you know, not, is nobody really not going to like me? You know, am I really a good daughter? Does his family not like me? Um, okay. Do I really cook stupid? I mean, things like that. So really, um, like I said, psychological mental abuse breaks you down worse than physical. I'm sorry that you had to go through any of that. That is just horrific. Um, And then you are stepping in the gap for other women who are feeling this. So it took you, you said about five to six years to heal when you could have done anything else 
why did you decide that this was the space that you were going to step into? Um, I'm sorry, repeat that one more time because you're coming in and out. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm having the problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you went through your healing process of five to six years and you could have probably done anything that you wanted to do. I'm not saying anything. You could have done something different. Why did you decide that you were going to step into this space and help other women? Um, you know, um, I decided to step into this because when I, when I was, uh, in the shelter, I felt hopeless. I was lonely and I felt like there was nobody there. Um, there were people there, but because the shelter was, um, overwhelmed sometimes, um, you felt like sometimes you were alone. And you felt like somebody really didn't understand all facets of what you went through. Um, some domestic violence is all different to different people. And not all wounds are the same. I always tell that to every single person that I meet. Um, my wound is different than yours. You can't characterize everybody's wound the same. So when my wound was afflicted to me. I can't characterize that wound to somebody else because mine is different. And I felt very alone sometimes. And when you're pregnant, you're dealing with hormones, you're dealing with issues of loneliness. And I felt like nobody was there. Um, and so I stepped into this because I didn't want anyone feeling loneliness, hopelessness, unkindness. Um, and I, I wanted so someone to understand that you may have a wound that's different, but there's someone there to help you um, to heal, to heal that wound. Why is it important for your, your clients and the people that you're advocating for that they know that their wounds are different. How does that make a difference to them understanding that? Um, it is extremely important um, because everyone tries to characterize sexual assault into a, a box. Everyone tries to characterize physical assault into a box and say it's all the same um, and mental and psychological abuse into one box. Um, but your perpetrator is not the same as mine and right. um, your and their perpetrator is not the same. And I can't know what they went through in the past. So if they've gone through something of trauma, like their perpetrator through like this is something that has happened in the past. And this is something that a woman has told me their perpetrator threw something at them, a candle that was lit at them. That's not something that happened to me. That's something that happened to them. And it right. was lit and their glass almost hit them and shattered. So of course they're, that's different. Their wounds are different than mine. And so to put that in a box and say all physical abuse is the same, all sexual abuse is the same, all mental abuse is the same is incorrect. We have to treat 
wounds differently because all facets of people are different. We have different colors. We have different shapes. We have different ideas. And we have to treat people as thus, you know, and we have to be very careful um, to to what they've gone through um, because people um, need to heal in their own way. That makes sense. And I appreciate that you're willing to do that too, because there's nothing when people will say, oh, I understand. And they really don't. As we said, there was a different perpetrator. You're a different person. You had a different background in growing up. You know, they might not have been pregnant when you were pregnant. There's just so many differences. And how have you seen your approach to really taking them as that individual? How has that changed their healing process? Um, You know, I, I hope that when they do come to our account, because we have FFT Counseling LLC, um, I hope that that through our counseling services, um, they can understand that or, or they can feel um, that we can help them through their brokenness, through their process, um, through their self-esteem process, um, through their guiding process, through their journey. Um, because it is a journey. My journey was different than their journey. You know, my, my journey, like you said, how, how did you shape your journey when you were, um, healing, you know, those five years, um, we have to take them through that journey and they have to want to take either that fork in the road. How, how does it look like to you? How does it look like to you? Um, how do you feel that that journey of self-discovery um, or healing looks like? Um, and we can't we can't shape it for them. I couldn't shape it for me. I had to look at certain things um, in a different aspect. We can just help them to rediscover it on their own, you know. And what does it look like for you? How how did they want to live out the rest of their life? Well, you said that part of your journey was forgiveness and acceptance. Yeah. What did that look like and how did you get there, Cynthia? Um, Rediscovery, um, you know, I I really had to look at my background and understand rediscovery really was hard um, and understand that, uh, you know, the things that were put into my mind as a child saying that, um, this is how we are brought up, mm-hmm. um, it is the way that we have to be. And, um, you know, although we're kind, we're good, we're great. And to a man doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be their punching bag, you know? Um, and so that was something that I had to change in my mentality. So mm-hmm. that was something I really had to change as a, a rediscovery for myself um, to, to acknowledge, you know, and my healing process um, was just healing, knowing that I, you know, needed to understand um, that I was a kind person. I was a good person. I was a smart person. Um, 
you know, that I, I really could do it on my own. Cause for a long time, I kept saying to myself, I can't do it. Um, I needed to, to change that verbiage, mm-hmm. um, and, and start thinking, Hey, I have to do this for Joseph. Um, Joseph was my first thoughts. Joseph was important. I, I have to do this for Joseph, um, as a parent, you know, what was the forgiveness part of that? How difficult was that? My forgiveness, I'm telling you, my forgiveness was the worst thing. Um, it, it really was the worst. Um, it, it took me longer to do forgiveness than it was for everything else. Um, because I kept thinking to myself, did I do this? Did I do this? Um, did I make the wrong choice? Um, did I hurt Joseph? Um, because I was pregnant and I, and I kept covering my stomach. So, um, you know, my, um, I had a very hard birthing. And so I said, did, did I do this? Um, I, I also for myself for forgiveness kept thinking, did I cause him to hurt me? Um, did I say something wrong where he sexually abused me? Um, and assaulted me. Was it me? Did, did I do that? Maybe I should have been a little bit more open, you know. Um, maybe I should have been a little bit more quiet, you know. And that whole thing with forgiveness was, no, uh, I I need to start thinking that um, it was not me, you know. Um, and when I took a path to God, it was totally. Um, a rediscovery that God really did heal me through that process, you know? So was it forgiveness of you for the choices and decisions and maybe your behavior? Yeah. Was there any forgiveness for your ex-husband? Um, I had to forgive me first. I really right. did. Um, that makes sense. Because I found, um, I found it very hard to forgive him, you know? Um, and I had a, a great mentor of mine who said, um, you can forgive someone, but you don't forget that person. You don't have to forget that person because that person has shaped the person who you are, um, shaped your ideas so that you will never do that thing ever again, so that you can mold the person that you are now, and then you can see the those issues again with whoever you're with again another person so you can forgive that person it really was a a real path um to to forgiveness so it was a path for you a path for him and what did how did that release you or what was the changes i don't want to put words in your mouth what what were the changes that you saw once you did that when you went through that process of forgiveness? When I forgave, um, when I forgave him, um, I trusted more. Um, I really did. I trusted a little bit more. I had a really hard uh, time to trust men, um, any men, even my employers. I had a really hard time to trust anyone. Um, Even my own father, I didn't trust my father. And I definitely didn't trust um, it's sad, sad to t- say this, but I didn't even trust my heavenly father, which was a hard time. I had a right. hard time. I can with trusting my heavenly. That. Yeah. 
So I had a back and forth with my heavenly father because I called him father. And um, so I had a back and forth with him about, you know, my forgiveness process. And why did I have to forgive him? He hurt me. It's not fair. So, you know, why do I have to do this? Even though you say in your word, I have to forgive. Um, but this is hurtful for me. Um, it's not fair. It, I really was saying that word all the time. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Um, but forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. You have to forgive to let go and set yourself free. Um, to let that person go out of your life and, and give yourself forgiveness that it's okay um, to let that person go, that they're not going to um, be like an anchor in your life anymore. He wasn't holding me down anymore. It's, it was gone. And it took, actually took one day when I was looking at my son, I don't want to cry, I'm sorry. Um, it took a day when I was looking at Joseph and he says, mommy, do you really, really love me? And I said, of course I do. Why do you think that? And he said, because sometimes you don't love dad, a grandpa. And he said, of course I do. And I said, okay, I get it. So it was that was the eye awakener. That was the change. So he was almost seeing your distrust and dislike of men. And he, yeah. because he's a man, he was taking that on to himself. Oh my gosh. I could see why that would bring tears to your eyes. You don't yeah. even realize you wouldn't even have made that connection. Yeah. So that's a brave young man to ask you that question. <laughs> So yeah. That's proof that you're a safe mom to come <laughs> and be able to ask that to. Gosh. And we don't realize that they they are watching us, everything that we do, everything that we say, every yeah. word that we speak, and should just take that in. Yeah, that uh, I could see why you, you would be emotional about that. So your healing process, now you help others heal. Yeah. This is a beautiful story, uh, a redemption story, I would say, that you took what was hurt and broken in you, you healed yourself, and then you became the healer. Yeah, yeah. I think um, sometimes you have to take a, a path, a journey, you know, that you never thought you would want to take. My journey was... Um, was a very long one and a very tumultuous one, a very um, <laughs> unliking one because I really didn't like it. <laughs> Sometimes wow. it had rocks. It was very not right. likable. Um, but when I got to the end of it, you know, I said, I really had to go through that. I had to. I had to go through the valleys. I had to go through the desert. I had to go through what I went through to come out the other end um, and like myself. I hated me. You know, I had to stop saying, but why? It's not fair, you know. Um, and I know sometimes when I, I say, hey, 
you really just have to let go and heal. Um, and it takes time because you can't just tell a person who has immediately gotten out of domestic violence, you have to let go and heal. Can't tell them that immediately. It won't work. Um, it, like I said, it takes a journey, it takes time, um, a healing journey. What have you seen, Cynthia, with the people that you work with when they don't accept the difficulty of the journey and they decide not to go through the desert, go through the valleys, go through the hard parts? What happens in the long run? Yeah, um, you know, the difficulty with not going through that um, journey process um, and heal the proper way is that it causes friction with everyone around them, you know, it causes animosity, you know, with people at work, it causes anger, you know, it causes within them, it causes hardships with their children, um, it causes pain, you know, even physical pain, you know, um, it, it causes them to not have good relationships because a person who's not properly healed will not have good relationships. They can't, they can't keep good relationships. It's hard for them. They can't, you know, be able to surround themselves with, you know, proper relationships that they should have. Like Joseph said, why do you t treat grandpa that way? You know, do you do you not love him? Um, so it was it's difficult for them to have relationships that they should have, even their family members, relationships mm -hmm. that they should have. But if you don't go through that journey, that process, that healing process, it might take long, but then they won't be able to even have good relationships with the people around them that they should have that protect them. Well, is part of that, if they don't get healed, is there a greater chance that they'll end up right back in a relationship similar to the one that they just left? Most definitely. Most definitely. If they don't recognize that they had an issue before, they will go back to the same process of getting into another relationship that... Um, because they don't recognize the red flags, they'll go back to another relationship that will be more physical abusive, more sexually abusive, because they haven't taken the wool over their eyes or taken the shield over their eyes to recognize they're not properly healed. Um, like I did, I take, I took time. I took, you know, four years to not be with anybody if they don't take that time to be away from somebody and they get into another relationship immediately, they will get back into another relationship that will harm them again. And you could see from just when you said you, you felt hopeless, you felt lonely, you had to take care of yourself. You wasn't, weren't used to being self-sufficient. Why someone would do that. Yeah. Why do they opt not to heal? Why did they many, make that decision? Many people who opt not to heal um, is, is because of those feelings. It's because I, I don't want to okay. be without a man. Um, I really want to be with somebody that will tell me I'm beautiful, I, I'm lovely. And then later on, because that, that's the thing, love bombing is the first thing that, that most perpetrators do. They'll tell them that they're beautiful, they're lovely. 
Um, they're there for them, that they'll take care of them, things like that. And then what they'll do is within a couple months, um, they'll change. The attitude will change. And so a person who's not properly healed will not notice those red flags. They won't notice what a man like that or a woman, sorry, let me put, put this without gender biases. They won't notice what a man or a woman looks like with red flags. So when they right. get into a relationship like that, they'll, they'll be like, oh, this person totally loves me, totally is all about me. And then when they're in that relationship for that year or two years, it's already too late. They, they're so deep into that, it's hard for them mm. to get out. Very My hard. guess is the more and more you're in it, the harder it is to get out of if you have these yep. repeat relationships. And it makes sense because if you're, it's almost like they, they know how to sell you into the relationship. They know the words to use, you know, um, what they can do to, it, it feels like they're building a trap. Yeah. They get you to fall into, they get you to fall in love with them with this love bombing. And that really, it is a trap that becomes almost like a, a prison setting of abuse. And it's just, um, well, I admire what you're doing and the work that you've put for yourself. And it's just, uh, it's such a great way to say, heal yourself first before you step it into anything else. It's going to be painful it almost feels like when you burn yourself and they have that debrazing, I think it's called, where they're sloughing off all the burnt skin. And yeah. um, I had a, a burn from a motorcycle and my son, who was like eight or nine at the time, he took on the job that he was going to scrub my wound. That was about the size of almost like an index card. Yeah. And because he did that, because it was painful. And he said, mom, I'm going to take care of it. I'm, I'm going to make sure that your, your leg doesn't have a score. I don't have a score on my leg. Like I would not know that that had happened right. because I went through that painful process. And whether it's grief, whether it's abuse, when we're trying to latch on to someone else to make us feel better. And it sounds like what you did, Cynthia, is make yourself feel better. You learned how to do that. So you weren't going to be seeking that from other people to validate you, to love you, to appreciate you, to think you're beautiful. So when you look in the mirror now, what are you saying, Cynthia? You know, when I look at myself now, I appreciate uh, who I am. I really do. I, I really do. Um, I am glad that I am worthy. Um, believe it or not, on my mirror, I have written um, so many things on my mirror. Um, but when I see myself in the mirror, I actually see those things I've written. And I tell women all this time, Hey, write yourself little notes, put it on your mirror every single morning. When you wake up, you'll see it. But on my mirror, I actually have your worthy, you're important. Do not forget to say it every day. And so when there's things that cause friction or an argument with someone on the phone throughout the day um, and makes me feel uncomfortable. The first thing I say to myself, you're beautiful, you're important. Remember what you're doing. Um, so that's something that I constantly meditate on is being able to meditate on the good things that we have and I have. You got great kids, you know. 
God is good. And so those are good things that I definitely try to meditate on the, the greatness of the world around me, that there are things that are good, that are things that I um, can count on that, you know, I, I do try to meditate on those things. Meditation is a great tool that I use, you know. Well, part of what you've said throughout the thread of the story is how important words are, how powerful words are. They can either harm you or they can hurt you. And as you said, if you're learning to program yourself into saying, believing these new truths about yourself and not believing the lies that this man put upon you is you have to start believing that it's almost like you're counter-programming or you're deprogramming yourself and reprogramming yourself so that you can go out and do this amazing work that you're doing. Yeah, affirmations are, are really important. Um, and I tell everyone in our group, listen, affirmations are great. Make sure you're utilizing affirmations. If you have you know, a, a board that you can put affirmations, you want to put them all over your house, do it. You have to affirm yourself because affirmations are extremely important. Um, Even if you haven't gone through domestic violence, just keep affirming yourself because affirmations of who you are, are vital, are vital, you know. They, They are. Well, how did you go about healing your relationship with God? That was real difficult. You know, I had a, a really difficult time with God. Um, you know, I never had a father figure. And I think that's why, you know, I was always looking for the wrong relationship. And I didn't really realize what this relationship really looked like. I And I think it, I really would have noticed it right away had I had a relationship with my father. Um, but I didn't have my father there ever, you know. And, um, he left when I was born and how did he show up in your son's life? No, that's my stepfather. That's my stepfather. Yeah. And so I call him, I call him my dad because he didn't come into my life until I was almost 22. I had Joseph at 21. And so my kids call him grandpa, but he's actually my stepfather. Um, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does make a difference in us deciding what type of relationships we're going to have. If we do have a good father figure and they were saying that in church yesterday, that without that good father figure, then we can almost assume that God, the father is like that. And I was sitting in saying, maybe that's why I feel like I have a stronger relationship with God, the father than at times Jesus, because my brothers weren't that nice to me. (laughs) (laughs) Where my dad was, you know? Yeah, I, you you know, I was in my prayer closet. Yeah, one, my, my mentors actually, um, she's a great pastor um, a great friend of mine too, Pastor Rena Perosi. She travels everywhere. And um, she prayed over me one time when I was at a women's retreat. And she said, you don't have a relationship with the father yet. And I said, of course I do. And that's how I told her, right? Of course I do. She goes, no, the relationship with have with the father is not father is daddy. 
and you don't have that, you call him father like he's the thunder and bolt kind of guy, the guy mm. in the Old Testament. You need to start calling him daddy like you sit on his knee and explain to him the things that are going on in your life. And when she told me that, I realized that it was because of the past that I had. And she goes, you need to get into a prayer closet and you need to talk to your daddy. And um, it made me cry, um, really made me somberly cry. And right. I went into, when I went, go, I got home from the retreat, um, I went into my prayer closet and I started to just weep before him. And I said, I literally said to him, listen, I don't see you as daddy yet. I have an issue with you. That's what I said. I have an issue with you. <laughs> Because I don't see you as daddy. But Pastor Rena told me I needed to talk to you <laughs> as daddy. So explain to me. And then I got these amazing verses that came out of nowhere um, in the Psalms. And uh, you know how David had weeped before, you know, weeped for him like daddy because he didn't, he was so somber before him because Saul was chasing after him and right yeah and he had some he, pretty good fights with the Lord yeah he sure <laughs> enough did he was <laughs> battling the Lord and so I also was like listen here <laughs> and it was so good it was really good that I was like listen here <laughs> I only see you as this but not this and then it, all these psalms came out and um, he really revealed himself so magnanimous and, you know, loving and compassionate and empathetic towards me in that closet. Um, I laid there. I literally laid there like a baby, like crouched like a baby in my closet. And um, I felt so warm. And, um, and cried and I said, okay, I, I see what you mean. I get it. Um, I say that you're not leaving me. I, I get it. And so I said, I'm not going to call you who you are. I'm going to call you who you've been. That's what I said. Um, and so, and it was really good because had it not been for God, I would have not ever been protected and shielded. Um, because Thomas didn't have to come get me, um, right. but he shielded me the whole entire way. And so I said, I'm not going to call you who you are. I'm going to call you who you've been because you've been with me the whole entire way. Mm -hmm. You've been with me, protecting me and loving me, but I never noticed it. I didn't notice it, but it was so good. It was so amazing. Um, his love was so kind and um, and so I will I dedicate my life uh, after something would happen there was a little corner in our room he would step out afterwards and I would sit in that corner and I came from a you know Bible believing family so you right. know my grandmother um, was part of everything in our church I have uncles who are pastors and leaders in Puerto Rico and so I would sit in that corner and just pray. And I, I would sit there and say, why God, I don't, 
I don't understand. Why is this happening to me? Did I do right. something wrong? And I question almost every single thing in my life. You know, did is this a problem with me? You know, and, you know, you said you would never leave me nor forsake me. You know, uh, you promised that you'd be with me in every step of the way. And I think that's why I had an issue. I've even told my pastor, Rena, my mentor, I said, you, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get it. And that's why it took such a long time um, for, for my journey, you know, because I was wondering why I had that big process in which I was like, you know, what, why, why is this going on? You know, why is the healing taking so long? Um, why is this process taking so long? And, you know, even my pastors at the time were like, because you don't want to let go. You don't want to let go. You kept, you keep saying, you know, how dare he, it's his fault, you know, and that has a lot to do with, with the healing issues. So the longer that you held on and pushed God away, you felt that that was part of the delay in healing. Not that it was a delay because it could have been perfect timing in his world. (laughs) Not at all. Like, I'm still trying to do a good thing with you, Cynthia. We need to do some cleanup work. (laughs) I had a a great lady in our church and um, she used to want to go to lunch with me all the time. And, um, we went out to lunch one day and she said to me, do you know that God is waiting for you to go to your next step, but you can't get there the, where you're at. You're in the step of the weight. You're in the step of the holding. And I kept saying to her, but I don't understand the steps. <laughs> I, guess, I don't understand these steps. <laughs> Can you lay them all out? Where are these steps in the Bible? Where are these steps? I don't get them. <laughs> oh, gosh. It, it is hard to be in that waiting. But yeah. how do you feel now? Do you feel like you knew he had to do a work in you before then you would actually be a, an instrument of his love and his compassion if you did not feel that first? Could you be as effective as you are yeah. now? Yeah, you know, (laughs) I truly believe had I not, um, you know, had I not gone through that process, I don't think I would be the way that I am today because, you know, God had to be an instrument. It had to be an instrument of his love and his kindness, his, you know, his, his just lovingness to me because there was times when I was just you fight with God sometimes you know and that was me sometimes but oh gosh yes (laughs) I you know I I tell people this all the time now because I have groups at church and um, I'm also a group leader and I tell this to people all the time which people think it's a joke I tell people, listen, as much as you want to walk away from God and God has a destiny, a plan and a purpose in your life. If you want to get away from God and he knows you have a destiny, you'll bungee cord God. 
because he will want to bungee cord you back. Doesn't matter how far you want to get away. He wants you back. You have a plan and a purpose in his life. <laughs> so as far as you want to walk away, you'll just bungee cord right back. And that was well, me. That, that's <laughs> such a good visual because uh, I would never bungee cord, number one. And just to see, I'm diving off the, I'm getting away from you, Lord. I'm diving off the bridge and not realize that he's just going to pull you right back up. He's just going to pull you right back. That was was me. I had made so many women laugh at that because they're going, I have gone through, I've gone through that process. I know what it's like. And, uh, and I said, yeah, I'm there with you. Listen, I have one finger at you and three fingers back. So, and I point at you, that means that three of those fingers are pointing back at me. Okay. Right. Oh, well, you can see your, your vulnerability and your kindness. Why you would be such a, an excellent instrument of, of his healing. It's not going to happen. You're, and I love even how you said not all women have the same wounds nothing's the same that you're validating our uniqueness and our relationships with whoever was the um i don't know what you call them the people who hit you people were the perpetrator the, the perpetrator or the abuser and then you know you have a different wound you have a different circumstance some people might have had fathers where you didn't have that father figure so there's so many different, and I just really appreciate that you're not trying to fit them in a box by labeling them and putting them in that box. I was just having that conversation with uh, my my daughter-in-law with just some, some things going on. And my son was saying, I am so sick and tired of these labels and people labeling it. Here's the cure. Here's what you have to do. Yeah. And their process is generally not the healing process that God goes through. Yeah. The last thing he wants us to do is to numb it, is to run from it, is to yeah. avoid it. He wants us to get deep into the pain yeah. because he can't heal us until he does that. Yeah. And I've had different kinds of pain, more of lost pain. I lost my daughter and my husband. And it's like, you, you just want it to end. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That I just keep on saying, Lord, I know you are good, doing a good thing in me and for yep. me and through me. Yes. And I, just help me just to surrender. Yes. All of that. Because it's, it's either going to be painful now or it's going to be much more painful later. Right. You make, the, you make the choice. And that delayed pain, that delayed grieving, that delayed forgiveness, that delayed acceptance of that delayed yeah. whatever and just saying ah because we want to put god in a box and that box yeah. is more in a bottle like a genie in a bottle yeah that i'm just gonna say this perfect incantation and then all of a sudden everything will poof, disappear yeah. and he wants to use our hurts and he wants to use our challenges and the struggles that yes. we've been through and, so good and look at how he's doing that with you I'm glad I I was going to shut off the recording. <laughs> and something <laughs> told me not. Something told oh. me not to. And, and you know, like God, wanna... God is so good. He uses you know those wounds for a greater you know, for his greater glory, for his great testimony. Because you know, had he not 
you know, use my wounds. Many had not come to the glory of God, you know, and, you know, I know that God is utilizing my testimony, um, not for myself, but for the kingdom of God, because that's not what I'm here to do. I, you know, we're not planted on this earth, you know, for ourselves. We're here for the glory of God. You know, my spirit doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. You know, our souls don't belong to us. It belongs to the father in heaven. And so when we pass through certain circumstances in our life, we bless the Lord, you know, that we're healed for our brokenness, that we're able to say great testimonies for his abundant love and for his abundant greatness, that he was able to do such wonderful, marvelous things, you know, how great is that? How great is his love? Wow, you know, what the enemy tried to use, you know, to break us down, God used it for his glory. Isn't that magnanimous and wonderful? Oh, I just love that. You know, God is so good. You know, I can never, you know, outdo anything that God has already done. You know, I just want to throw parties every day for him. You know, had I not been in his, you know, great, you know, glory, I thank God every day. You know, I want to stand in his glory. I'm so thankful, you know. And that that is amazing, Cynthia, that you can say it when you're telling us that you were sexually, emotionally, mentally, and physically beat by your husband. And through the grace of God and Thomas, you were able to escape it. And can still say, I'm still believing and loving and trusting your daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that good? Isn't that so good? <laughs> it, it is so good. And some people will think it's crazy, but I always go, uh, don't knock it till you try it. Try it. Yes. <laughs> then, uh-huh. Don't what, try what the goodness of God. Working, Step into it. Right. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story, sharing your emotions and just for your your gift of reaching out and advocating and helping others that they can, number one, not get trapped in this type of situation. And when they do, that you're helping them move their life forward. So thank you. Thank you, Diane. You have been, you know, wonderful. And I thank you so much for, for being here for others who are in need.
So you said you had two children? I do. Um, I have um, one who is Joseph, of course, and um, and then Luis, Luis Daniel, um, who um, is my youngest. He's 24. My oldest is 27. Um, mm -hmm. My youngest one um, was from a prior marriage that did not work. Um, but we went away happy. It wasn't anything that, you know, we had any issues were or anything. We just, you know, it, of course it just didn't work, but it wasn't anything that we went away unhappy, you know? So, okay. yeah. But, um, my youngest is, um, he went, he was in the military army and, well, um, that's what you said. Both of your children were in the military. No, my youngest only. Yeah. He oh, okay. was in the army. Um, and he, um, got medically released because he had a bomb that passed by his ear. And mm. so he's now medically released. And then my oldest son is, um, a master plumber. He's still in college but he's going back and forth. He's still working and everything. And um, he wants to start working for the county. Um, so he's great. And he's actually writing his first book because mommy has kind of guided him into that because I have four books. And he was like, mom, I think I want to be an author like you. And I was like, okay, let's do this. So, so he's, um, yeah, so he's going into that. My, my book is actually called A, 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 a Place of Healing, um, mm -hmm. a, journey, a Journey to the Father. So, um, and it's on Amazon. So I always say everyone's going through a journey. So, um, so it's a place of healing, um, a journey connection to the Father. Yeah, and it's a great, it's a great journal. So um, in which... It's all about the father. It's, it's a, a great scripturally. Um, it's got a lot of scriptures in there, but it also shows you how to be able to have a loving connection to the Lord, you know, and um, be able to know how to connect with God. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, he's learning from his mother. Does he have a relationship with his father or no? Joseph does not. His father doesn't want anything to do with him. Um, he doesn't even recognize him at all. So um, he's called him an it a couple of times in court. Um, he got arrested twice because of doing that in front of a judge. Because um, one judge got upset and was like, you can call him the child in question, or you can call him by the child's name, but you will not call him an it in my in the court. So well, that's good what for happened. that judge. Yeah. Wow. That that is they they're not learning their lessons. Like that's the they sad don't. part. They they could heal as well if they wanted to, but I guess first they'd have to admit that they needed healing and it wasn't all yeah. your fault. Which is oh. fine. Yeah. But oh. Joseph is amazing. He's a good boy. He's loving and kind and you know he loves tremendously and um you know both of my my boys love with the loving kindness of the father and you know and i'm i'm proud and happy to to be 
so um, amazingly loved by two wonderful boys. Yeah. That's great. Great news. Well, Thank you, Cynthia, so much. You were an absolute delight. I'm glad I got to know you a little bit better.
Thank you so much for pulling into the Hope Station. Wasn't that a great episode? My hope is that this episode brought you hope. Do you want to be a hope giver? I hope so. And how you can do that is to share this podcast, post the episode on social media, write a review or rate the podcast. This helps engagement and boost the podcast out to other listeners in need of hope. So thank you. Thank you for participating. Thank you for helping. Thank you for being a valued listener. And my hope is that you have a great week.